Welcome, Nut News listeners, to the show about Ammons, the nut that gets its L shuck out of it this time of year, and whose host you'll swear is nuts because he makes the same terrible joke over and over. Seriously, that's at least the third time I've referenced that joke. Anyways, today's show, CEO Bub Nunez joins to survey industry touch points. And if you're wondering if we got a new CEO since last time, nope, we sure didn't. I'm just trying to cover up my typo from our market reports and by pretending that he's got a new nickname. It's still Bob and Bob. Welcome back to the show. Apologies for that typo. But the new nickname, I kind of like it. And uh, I think there's some worse things we can call you. Well, uh, yeah, there is absolutely worse things you could call me, but <laughs> that's quite all right for the typo. Well, uh, I suppose things like that happen, but let's uh, let's dive in. Peak harvest, it, it's probably happening now, or I, you know, I'm kind of thinking it's it might have already happened. You know, we were started harvest, uh, you know, at least by my contacts, seven to 10 days earlier this year in this go around. So I'm hoping that, you know, we, we've seen you know, some reports from the the fields and you've had a chance to, you know, talk to some of our growers. So, you know, anything stand out to you at this point in the harvest season? Well, yes, absolutely. There's several items that come to mind. The one that's talked about the most is the kernel size. And we've heard early on that the kernel sizes were extremely small and smaller than last year, which was a small kernel size year. However, what we've noticed, and we've sized a couple million pounds uh, of nonpareil to date, and we are about 60% 2730s and larger, and that's broken out about 24%, 23, 25 and larger, and 38%, 2527s and 2730s. So that's that is actually better than what we had sized at this time last year. But from what I can gather, it's the South Valley where they're extremely smaller sizes. The central and the north appear to be a little a little bit better, actually quite a bit better. So how it all shakes out as far as the overall crop is still yet to be seen, but it, it appears to be regional at this point. Well, I, I'm glad you started there because I think that is something that we have been concerned about, um, you know, with with the hot weather and you know drought conditions. But you know, as you pointed out, or you know, maybe kind of touched on there in your comments, uh, small sizes, you know, they happen. And uh, last year we had a bumper record crop, and you know, small sizes are certainly a part of that. And I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, your take here. So, are we seeing smaller sizes, um, you know, because we have a large harvest. The point being is when you have a, a bumper crop, sometimes you get uh, that that tree stress that just results in in smaller sizes, right? There's just too many nuts for the trees to to really you know bring to the the full size potential, but you make up for that by by having a a really large yield. So is that what we're seeing with those smaller sizes or is it really more indicative of 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 water stress? Well, I, I I would have to say it would have to be drought-related or lack of water-related because the yields seem to be, on a per-acre basis, lower than last year. We were very hopeful coming into this season that the southern part of the valley would be stronger than a year before as far as per-acre yields. And so far, at least on the non-parels, that has not turned out to be the case I'm hearing from haulers in in the in the south area that are off between eight percent and fifteen percent year over year on the uh, same fields. 
that's an indicator to me that this overall crop is not going to come in over a 3 billion pound crop and and maybe be looking closer to the 2.8 estimate. The center and north of the state, which had extremely large crops last year, still have good crops, but they are off statistically from last year's. Well, maybe that's just to be expected when you come off of some, uh, you know, a, a yield as as large and robust as what we saw in the the north and the center. And you touched on two point eight. Uh, that was the objective forecast. That's the most recent forecast, you know, that the industry has uh, to go on. So, you know, I'm kind of interested. How do you feel on that two point eight number? I mean, do you feel like we're still targeting that? Feel like maybe we're going to come under it, over it? What are your thoughts? It's still early, and we've only, you know, primarily the data we have is non-parels. It appears that we're going to be targeting the 2.8. I, I, I still think it could be between a 2.8 and a 2.9. I have a hard time really projecting that it would be lower than 2.8 from what, what we know today. But the chances of a, of a 2.8 or, or, or slightly over is, is probably likely. Let's dig in a little bit deeper there. And Dinesh, um, you know, our, our director of sales, I know that uh, you two are very friendly in your competitions and like to put wagers on uh, on the outcome. So I want to know, like, what's the line this year? Where where are you and, and Dinesh standing? Because I know there's something out there, right? So you're over at something, Dinesh is under or vice versa. What is that number? I believe that number was a 295. I was under and Dinesh was over, but that was uh, probably a month ago. I, I think if he had to do it over today, I, I don't know that he would take the over. Well, I think you, I think you scored there because, uh, to be honest with you, I think I've always been closer to to two eight two eight five myself. And uh, last time I was talking with Dinesh, he. Uh, he would not have, uh, I, I certainly would have taken what you got. So personally, I felt better, but you know, that's that's part of the fun in all of this, right? Is uh, we really don't know until all things are said and done. So, but it does sound like, uh, you know, we're going to come in underneath last year's number. I, I think that seems like uh, like the consensus from from both of you. So let's maybe loop, move on then. Um, aside from projecting, uh, you know, yields, let's, uh, let's look at some numbers that, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more concrete. So position report came out 207 million pounds ship. That's up 7.4% over last, um, August, which, uh, you know, I thought was, was fairly robust considering the situation. How do you read it? What's your outlook on shipments? Well, it's a great shipment number. Uh, it's a record shipment, which beat the record, which was last year. But it's not really that unexpected because of the large carryout. And we had about a 600, little over 600 million pound carryout. So the, the majority of that was old crop shipments. So there was available to ship. And the crop, as you stated earlier, is, a, is coming in a little bit earlier than last year, which has gotten some new crop shipments out as well. So it, it is a very great start to the year. If we were to use just just an overall, you know, a 30,000 foot view with the, our carry-in of 608 with a, a, a 2.8 crop, less loss than exempt, we have a total supply decrease of almost 4.5% from a year ago. That means if we ship the same as last year, we will get our carry-out down to just under a 500 million pound carryout. So that, that's one of the reasons for the increase in, in, in pricing is the restriction on total supply. But then you throw in and layer in on top of that, 
this prolonged drought and the effect it'll have on next year's crop and, and still the uncertainty of this year's crop, you put those things together and, and you get a very bullish sentiment on the market prices. Well, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that because we have seen prices uh, rebound from their lows, um, you know, up 70 cents or more in, in some instances and in some, uh, you know, specifications. But that minus four and a half, five percent supply number that, that you were hinting on, you know, it doesn't sound to me like that big of a number. And I suppose that that is in reference to, you know, 20 plus percent supply increase that we saw last year. So I suppose by any measure, you know, they're going to be, it's going to sound smaller than that. But, you know, I'm looking at commitments and we're significantly off from last year. So we're down 32% uh, on net, you know, year over year at this time. And August saw just 135 million new pounds of commitments. And that's down 41% from last year. And I, I respect that we're in very different scenarios than last year, but I, I was wondering if you could elaborate on that and, and maybe provide some insights on on why you think you know the commitments are lagging as much as they are this year, and is that something to be concerned about? Sure. the The reason that the commitments and overall sold position is down uh, is, I think, directly related to the uncertainty of of this crop and with the 2.8 estimate and then some some people believing that maybe the drought will have an effect and and it comes below that but i think primarily it's due to the potential adverse crop regardless of weather for the 2022 harvest so growers handlers are holding back uh, and and probably are going to be conservative until they see what what the the winter months uh, bring. So they're going to cover for the most part now through the end of the year. And there's not a lot of people, I don't think, selling Jan forward just yet. So it, I think it, it is by design because of the uh, crop availability. You did mention that we were you know, up over 20% last year. We, we had a, a 24% increase in crop last year and a 22% increase in shipments. But the reality is the the reason we had that type of shipment activity, which a lot of people, if not the majority of people, did not think that was possible, was due to the very depressed prices. And so at, at what level, you know, now that we are, you know, anywhere from 70 to a, cents to a dollar higher, how much will that slow the shipments down? Well, yeah, and I guess that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make here. I mean, I haven't run the math, but you know, a 2.8 number would have still represented a a bit of an increase in supply, if if I recall correctly. And I guess you know, okay, so we just shipped all these almonds, and you already alluded to the fact that you know that was propelled by lower prices. So as prices come up, how does that balance? I know. I guess I'm just trying to to equate that in my mind, thinking. Are we just kind of going to return back to a normal growth curve and, and those that were really only in the market due to price, they're going to be going away. But then, you know, the the normal steady increase of, of demand that you build entering kind of new, but, uh, you know, more stable and mature markets, are we just going to continue to elevate the baseline? And I don't know, maybe I'm rambling here, but um, I mean, does any of that make sense or is there anything else that you want to add to kind of clarify you know, the commitment situation here? Yeah, I mean, well, we're looking at an estimate that's 400 million pounds lower than last year's crop. So that's pretty significant. And, that, and I'm, I'm of the belief that we may have peaked on the yield side, on the supply side. 
I don't anticipate next year's crop being larger than this year's crop, whatever it is, for several factors. One, there's just going to be a lot more acres come out due to the drought and lack of uh, available water. And there was a tremendous amount of acreage that did not have its full allotment of water, which is definitely going to impact the fruit wood for next year's crop. So uh, it, uh, it's just likely that next year's crop will not be that strong. And the new acres coming in are um, are less and less every year. So we might be in a situation where we'll have as many acres coming out as new acres uh, coming in. And if the yield per acre is somewhat diminished, we could see even a smaller crop than, than a 2.8. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, over the last decade plus, we've seen a lot of acres come in and, you know, you've already getting into marginal soils and marginal water situations, which are only exacerbated by the drought issues that we have. You know, we're in the north and I heard from our farm manager that even some of our wells um, have been, you know, coming up sucking air. So, I mean, this is a truly uh, unprecedented, uh, you know, drought uh, environment and I think I echo your your concern that from the supply standpoint, I I think last year was an anomaly on the overabundance, and I just I, I don't really foresee that happening either. To transition away a little bit, uh, or just to you know to segue with water as scarce as it as it is, I see a lot of similarities to the 2012-2015 drought cycle, and we saw prices you know 450 and above per pound. Do you see the same similarities in the in the drought conditions we're, we're seeing now? And, and do you expect possible continued upward trends in pricing? I do. I don't think we're going to hit those levels during this crop year. But if these uh, conditions persist, we, we will definitely be in, in, in that price range. One of the things to think about when you see the 1.1 million acres that's in production a lot of this expansion, if not the majority of, of the expansion, is in areas that is not in the, you know, in the uh, the plain of the valley. They're in the foothills, and it's all reliant on groundwater. So those are all new straws in the ground that weren't there a few decades ago. And with the new uh, uh, legislation that's in place on extracting groundwater, there's a really concerning future for the industry in the next decade. So on on Sigma, the legislation has already kind of matriculated through the system and it has uh, put a cap on on new well development. Uh, but at least it's my understanding that it doesn't prevent us from reconditioning or, or you know, extending wells that might come up dry. So is, is that true? And is that something that's going to allow at least what's been planted to maintain itself? Well, yeah, that's just one part of the legislation. I mean, eventually they're going to be monitoring the the groundwater and it will be extremely limited as to essentially what you can recharge into your aquifers as to what you can pull out. And that's going to get more and more difficult to do over time. But the the legislation has done maybe an unintended consequence as because there's a deadline and a limitation of new wells there was a race to get new wells into the ground and get a pump on them and get them working so they have some history before the legislation comes into uh, full force and effect. So 
it just really depends. I mean, there's areas in the state right now, and I, I know the Madera area is 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 one. The West Side is in general throughout the state is in very very difficult precarious situation with availability of groundwater. And to the degree that they get in groundwater, it's it's very poor quality. So I I, I don't know. It, it's it's something that's not going to go away, obviously, and it's not going to be fixed in a in a year or two. But I do know in the short term, which is you know when you're when you're marketing almonds, you're looking at this crop and next year's crop, uh, and dealing with the carryover you had. And when you look at those three things, and you see what the demand is for almonds, I don't see the price of almonds coming down significantly in the in the next twenty four months. So another question I might ask is. You know, great. We have all these headwinds on, particularly on the supply side, um, that might, uh, you know, lend us to believe that we've reached kind of the the peak uh, supply period. But let me ask, I mean, is there anything that's in the pipelines? Maybe it's uh, technology or I know the government uh, and bureaucracies tend to, to lag, but I mean, you know, are there any, you know, water projects in the works or just anything that might give you a little bit of encouragement, you know, looking forward on, uh, you know, the future of, of supply growth for almonds? Well, there are people taking things into their own hands as far as trying to put in some type of in- infrastructure to collect rainwater and also on wet years to be able to receive the water and, and store it as the, the state has been unwilling to build more uh, groundwater storage. A lot of individuals Farmers, to some degree, are trying to do that themselves for their own acreage, but you're still dependent on uh, there being wet years uh, and and there that being that excess water. I'm sure there will be some technologies that come out to be more efficient with the water usage it, itself. But as far as the drought is concerned, to a large extent, it's out of our hands. Yeah, that is true. Mother Nature uh, works by her uh, her own marching orders. That's for sure. So let's go back. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, let's look at the markets, right? You know, we saw this large increase in demand fueled by lower prices. So moving forward into 2021, we have a reduction in supply forecast. Prices have returned back to that historical average. So looking at the market overview, do you have one or two markets that you think might still be poised for continued growth in 2021? And are there a couple of markets that you think are really going to struggle with you know, an increase in pricing? Well, I still think the developing markets are going to continue to grow, primarily in India and China, Hong Kong. And China has, has come back in a, in, in a pretty large way so far this year on both in-shell and, and kernel demand. I think Western Europe, the Middle East, all of the markets... You know, the Middle East, as an example, they really like and prefer a non-parel 23, 25 and larger extra number ones. Those are going to be in very, very short supply, it appears. So will they adapt to a smaller almond or will they pay an exorbitant amount of price to get what's available is, is yet to be seen. But I think the demand is there on all the markets. It's it's just what at what price level is going to be required to you know, to keep our carry out at that 450, 500 million pound range at the end of the year. And I don't know if the price levels where we're at right now is going to do that, or is it too high? That's what we're going to find out here over the course of uh, the next few months. But I don't see any softness in offers. As a matter of fact, when you look at 
as an example, uh, standards, which is a kind of a barometer to, to all of the other kernels. You know, for prompts, shipments, you're in the 240 range, and then it increases about five cents a month when you get into October through no through December. Uh, you're looking in the the 250 range, and when you're looking January forward, you're 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 getting close to 260. So the people that are looking to book further out are willing to pay a premium. So that tells me there's no real softening on the short term. Once we get through this large carryout and and those nuts are consumed, then we'll see at the end of the year, this, this calendar year, and kind of where where we go, f- you know, where we go from there. Well, let's go on a little tangent here. We just sought Be Friendly Farming Certification from the Pollinator Partnership on all 10,000-plus planted acres of ours. And I don't know about you, but I was talking to uh, Dinesh over the weekend, and he seemed just so animated and excited about this development. Um, and I was just wondering what your thoughts were on you know, the BFF endeavor and you know, what your just maybe general vision as a whole for sustainability kind of looks like for Select Harvest. Sure. The Be Friendly Partnership and you yourself is uh, the primary driver in, in getting us certified. I commend you and thank you for that. I was, and this is a little bit of a toot in my own horn, but <laughs> but you know, you you were obviously uh, an important uh, you know factor. Of this you know as as our primary leader. So again, thank you. But uh, what are your thoughts? Well, it it is extremely important, and now that we've accomplished it ourselves, now we want to take that message to the rest of our grower base and and to try to get as many of our growers to join the partnership. It's just something that I know our customers are looking for us to do. That's one aspect of a sustainability program or being a sustainable company. That's probably one of the things we started out with first. But as you know, we're looking at an overarching sustainability plan company-wide from the uh, orchards all the way through the supply chain. Well, it, it is true. We do a lot on sustainability and we've had a couple of podcasts highlighting and featuring that. I would uh, recommend anyone who's interested in our sustainability endeavors, go back and take a listen. And yeah, Bob, uh, we are looking to bring the Be Friendly Farming uh, certification out to a wider audience base, primarily our, our growers. And if you're a grower out there, uh, you know, don't panic. You know, we're still evaluating our own process and and how that worked for us um, and then working with our team to kind of understand how that might work for you. So I would encourage you, if you are interested, you're a farmer or or grower and you're one of our, um, you know, primary partners, please reach out uh, to myself. You can do so at a Burwell at uh, selectharvestusa.com or uh, info at selectharvestusa.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be a part of you know our continued sustainability uh, quest. That being said, Bob, I think we can leave it there. I, I really do appreciate and value our conversations on these topics. So thank you again for for taking your time and coming out here and, uh, and chatting with us. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, I look forward to it. Maybe we'll do it again in a few months. I certainly hope so. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know this is the part of the show where I try to bring in a little lightheartedness to the show. And if you're still listening, I'd like to share a couple of jokes that I heard from my six-year-old the other day. Now, I actually told these jokes in a training a while back and totally blew the punchline. So, Bob, I'm hoping you'll stick around for a second and help me out on these. Are you there still there? Yes, I'll do my best. All right. So, why did the chicken cross the road? I don't know. Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the dummy's house. 
No, yeah, I, I didn't get it either. I, I totally didn't get it either. Um, <laughs> but there was another one. You see, this is a six-year-old talking now. So, all right. So, so there's another one. All right, and it goes like this: knock, knock. Who's there? It's the chicken. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is how you get away with calling your CEO a dummy after mistakenly referring to him as Bub in your company's <laughs> market update. So join us next time where assuredly there will be a new host because why? Well, because someone's bound to have realized that I'm nuts. And this is Nut News. Hiding behind your six-year-old child. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs>